so we're in the midst of Bree's greatest hits, where we are reminiscing with Bree about her favorite episodes from our lots of episodes. So many episodes. <laughs> so many. By the time these air, we're in the 200s. Oh my so gosh. So this is crazy. This is crazy. But you know what? I feel like at some point in every excellent series be it a podcast or a television show or whatever like an episode of like recapping or Mm -hmm. like the greatest hits or the greatest scenes so I feel like this podcast is in a position like it has peaked to the point of I mean it's still like it still has ways to go don't get me wrong no it hasn't peaked peaked but like y'all have reached a point where like we have we have the creative license to, and and the accolades to do this, so yeah. I'm glad I have the opportunity. It's super fun. It is super fun. All right, so what's on the docket today? So today I want to I want you all to listen in on one of our book club episodes for a couple of reasons. We read the book I Don't Want to Have the Prayer. It's a memoir by Karen Kuhlman Averett, LCMS pastor's kid. And her memoir just, it was really, it was really touching and Mm -hmm. hilarious Mm -hmm. and just a great read. If you didn't read along with us back when we had recorded that episode, I highly recommend. It's a great read and super fun. But also, this was one of the book clubs where we were able to actually bring the writer on Mm -hmm. for a little bit of discussion prior to talking about the questions and discussing the book. And so... As hilarious of a writer as Karen is, she's also just a hilarious, she was a hilarious guest to have on the show. Yeah. I, she was probably one of my favorite guests and we had some really, in the last four years, some really excellent people on the show. And I think this book is a good, and the episode really was a good reality check, I think. Mm-hmm. This was, we had recorded this when my husband was in his second year at the oh, seminary. Wow. And right now at the time of this recording, like he graduates with his MDiv today. Like, Whoa! And so it yeah. was wild <laughs> to like think back to two years ago, but also like it's still very relevant that this, the ministry, the being in the parish is going to be a life-changing thing for me and I don't yeah. know that that's ever going to change despite where he where Matt is at in his his career. So yeah. it's a good story about, you know, being genuine and being authentic in an environment that maybe doesn't always welcome that or boundaries or whatever. So it's a really good read. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. We've got a double whammy of an episode for you today, which is super exciting. We have a guest with us. We're not in studio. Sad day uh, because, you know, COVID and everything. However, we have a guest with us today and we're talking about books. And this is a this was a really great book club book this time around. We got a lot of great feedback about it. We're all really excited to talk about the book. And also we get to talk with the author, which is super exciting. So Rachel, I'm throwing it to you. Introduce our (laughs) guest and uh, let's dig in because we have a whole lot to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. This was our book club pick that we all chose together. Our anniversary read is I don't want to have the prayer. A messy pastor's kid does her memory work. And we have <laughs> Karen Kuhlman Averett in our virtual studio today answering reader questions. And I could not be more excited. Welcome, Karen. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. Now, tell us a little bit before we get into reader questions. And I don't, so I, I don't want to waste too much time at the beginning. <laughs> but before we get going, tell us a little bit about yourself and about the book and why you wrote it and and how it's all tell us the story behind what we just read together well i am a uh, lcms pastor's kid 
and a pastor's wife's kid. That to me is just as significant. Mm -hmm. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm a writer. And I wanted to write this book because I wanted to tell an honest and candid story of my upbringing and uh, mainly give a, a sense of who my mother was. I think she was misunderstood a lot because of her own perceived notions of uh, not being good enough as a pastor's wife, uh, self-perceived notions. And I wanted to set the record straight. So I, uh, I started writing this book, taking notes after my mom died. And uh, it all came to fruition over the past uh, <laughs> 18 years. So it, you know, while I was doing Lutheran school fundraising, the book was set on the back burner. But finally, <laughs> finally, my my son went to public high school, and I had some time to write. That sounds like a wonderful thing to do with your your spare time, and I'm so glad you did. We've all been, uh, I'll be honest, quite raving about the book, and I think mm -hmm. everyone who attended the book club discussion online last week really got a lot out of it. I just have to say, Karen, <laughs> that you forgot one thing in the list of things that you are, and okay. that is hilarious. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can I be your friend, like in real life? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> let's, let's do that. You are so funny. I'm so glad. Oh, I'm so glad you exist. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Agreed. Thank you. You know, there's so many times I squealed when I was reading. <laughs> I mean, you guys are funny. I listened to your pie podcast yesterday and loved every second of it. We you love know, pie. If you don't have a sense of humor, you're just not going to make it in this oh life. God. I think That's we all feel. Yeah. That is the truth. <laughs> Why are you cackling? And I'm like, you just need to read the book, dude. Like, it's <laughs> Yeah, I'll be giving it to my to my husband or my teenage daughter. I'm not sure which first. My husband is a chaplain, and we were in the parish for a number of years before before going into the military. And of course, my my children are all PKs, and they know of what you speak. And now I know too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we could keep praising each other to the skies for uh, the better part of an hour, probably. But I want to get to these reader questions. So let's just dive right in, picking one at random from the batch. Listeners out there, I only know you from Facebook. So if I massacre your names, love me anyway, please. Margot Dupree writes, your memory of such details is amazing over such a long time period. Was prior journaling part of the process for the book? So how did you get all these wonderfully detailed narratives in there? Well, I, I don't journal. I don't have the patience for it. Um, <laughs> I, when I've written things down, it's on a scrap of notepaper or the back of an envelope, and I stick them in a file and then go through the file when I'm writing. But I, I've always had a weird memory, the kind that makes people think I'm a weird stalker, because <laughs> I'll bring up a memory and they won't have the same memory. And I'll say, well, yeah, you were wearing that blue shirt and the green socks. And I come off looking like, looking like a total weirdo. But um, that's I just remember some things uh, a little more clearly probably because I remember based on the emotion of the event rather than the event of its, the event itself. Mm -hmm. And I think once the emotion is tapped into then, okay, the people come into focus, the surroundings mm. come into focus and I just take it from there. Mm. So, you know, there's some times of high emotion, especially when I was a child that are, you know, come into pretty stark relief and I think we remember those emotions from childhood a little more easily than we do when we're older. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you have a real gift for being able to sort of meditate on your memories where you can just pick one and sort of spend some time with it and really, do, you know, focus, bring it back into focus, which is a really neat practice. One that I think can be a real blessing and apparently very good for you if you're an author of memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's helpful. It I found myself wishing so much though that I had asked my parents more questions mm -hmm. while they were alive and I, I can't stress enough to people 
your parents will be gone someday and your access to those memories will be gone. So, so ask while you have the chance. Yeah, it's important. Absolutely. Oh, I've kicked myself so many times for not having been more assertive in asking my grandparents questions. Yep. Same. All right. Monica Kelp writes, if you got to sit down with first year seminary students or men who are contemplating going into seminary and their families, what is some advice that you would give them about the life of a family in ministry? And I think, Bree, probably you would appreciate this question answered, too, since you and your husband are currently at the seminary. I am all so, ears right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm careful not to give advice because I'm not an expert at much. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you know, be hopeful, but go into it with low expectations. <laughs> There you go, Bree. Yes. For the congregation, you know, I I knew one pastor's wife and she and her husband had just embarked on ministry and she was very disappointed because she thought she would be the epicenter of all the women's activities in the church. And she wasn't. And it was a huge letdown for her. So I would say, you know, expect that people aren't going to treat you like the queen of every room you walk into. But if you, if you go in with, with humility and an understanding of this, isn't going to be the most exciting thing with all kinds of great attention, you're going to be okay. And also expect that your husband's not going to be around for every family activity. It's, it's just not possible. There are too many demands on a pastor's time and and go easy on your kids. That's that's a huge a huge thing. You know that one's for you, Rachel. I wish you'd been around in my life like 15 years ago because there's some things I'd do over again. Well, hey, my kid's not a pastor's kid, and I have made some big mistakes. So um, I'm my mother's daughter. Oh, <laughs> your mother did a great job. If you mm. are any indication of yep. that, mm. well, so, agreed. That's, I guess that's, that's hope for all of us. All right. So your advice, you're not the queen of every room you walk into good advice for everyone, pastor's wife or not, but yeah, yeah, it can save you some heartache uh, throughout Mm -hmm. your life. All right. Moving on. We have a couple of questions from Faye Bolton Mergups. Okay. So part of the book is about the experience you had with bullies in childhood. Mm -hmm. And she asks, have you met any of the bullies in the book as an adult? Have they changed or have they apologized? And did you disguise anyone in their Indian books so they wouldn't recognize themselves? <laughs> I hope I disguised a couple of people well enough. I certainly tried. I haven't met them in person. I have seen their lives through Facebook. Mm-hmm. And no, there were no apologies. I, I don't know if they've changed, but I think I've changed I'm no longer looking at them as this scared, sad peer of those people. Mm-hmm. I see them through the eyes of being a mother. Mm-hmm. And I, I know these people came from homes that were dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And I, I see them more as the little girls they were who weren't getting what they needed. Mm-hmm. And that's why they acted out. It took me being a mom to see that. I would not have said that. 20 years ago. But if, if I look at things through the prism of motherhood, I have a completely different attitude than through the prism of a bullied kid. Mm-hmm. That is so wise. Oh my goodness. One thing that I, I mentioned in one of, one of our discussion points this week is that what you went through as a bullied child really seems to have cultivated compassion and it, what you're saying about the the mother love, the the pity that you feel for these young people who maybe didn't have all the love and care and attention that you did, that really sort of backs up that idea that just as the Bible tells us, suffering produces compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Right, right. We all have our struggles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Faye also asks, and Madeline Rose Craig second this seconds this question. So we've got two readers and a whole lot of uh, hearts and thumbs up on this one. People want to know what is one thing we can do to better support our pastors' families. Yes, prayer definitely. Mm. And you know, 
I am guilty of always speaking about prayer as though it's the the weakest last resort in our arsenal as Christians when it's really the most powerful. But I, I speak to people, well, all I can do is pray or I can't do anything for you, but I'll pray. Prayer is huge and pastors' families face the same spiritual needs as all the parishioners within a congregation. So prayer is huge. Practically speaking, respect a pastor's downtime, Mm -hmm. vacations, Mm -hmm. Sunday afternoons. If other pastors are like my dad, they just want to sit down and watch football. They are. Other pastors are like your dad. Yes. (laughs) Wants to sit down and watch football by having a nap while vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And creating memes. He's hilarious. Hilarious. That's excellent. (laughs) It's always good to reaffirm that pastors are guys too. They like sports. They like having a beer. They're people. Mm -hmm. Yep. Four definite realsies. (laughs) (laughs) This goes into our our next question. Elizabeth Tissoni asks, if you had to pick one thing, what would you say is the biggest blessing of being a PK? And I love this question because it's so positive. I cannot (laughs) express enough how important my church families have been to me. Mm-hmm. And the first two in, in Iowa, I was too young to really remember. Liberty, Missouri, fond memories, but I didn't develop any real relationships. I was six years old. Flint, Michigan, I, I still, I'm in contact with some people via Facebook, mostly friends of my brother at the time. And now Holy Trinity, Grandview, Missouri, and I, I live very close I'm in fairly constant contact with the people there, participate in the life of the church, even though I'm not a member there. They, they really have been my family. They've shared the grief uh, when my parents died. I share grief with them when book club members die. We celebrate together. We do, you know, everyday stuff like have coffee together. They, they are my extended family. And it's a a huge blessing. And I'm so grateful for them and to them. It sounds like then to answer, partly partly circle back and answer your biggest, the the previous question, that being a family to your pastor's kids, being a church family and embracing that mindset of family-ness is a great gift. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, people within a congregation get on each other's nerves. Just, <laughs> you know, what? No. Often several times, even within the church service. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even like our, our actual family families, often we love people not because of who they are, but in spite of who they are. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, isn't that what Christ does with us? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, the irritating stuff's going to happen. You know, so-and-so is so bossy when we set up for a potluck. And, you know, this person does this that I can't stand. And we shouldn't be gossiping. And that's something that's particularly difficult for a pastor's family to be the subject of. But families operate with a little bit of tension. And to expect that that doesn't happen within a church is unrealistic. Because there's so much good stuff too. The love, mm-hmm. the joy, the care. That cannot be underestimated. Yeah, the thing about family is that even if there is tension, even if you don't get along, you're going to wake up the next day and still be family. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that's who we are in Christ as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Changes the quality <laughs> of our relationships. Absolutely. Okay, we have time for, I think, one more question, and I've been saving this one for last because I really want to hear your answer. Okay. (laughs) This one comes from Steph Schulte, who, backstory, was a missionary and then a pastor's wife and now a missionary again. Wow. And she was on on our podcast a few weeks ago and is a very fun person to be around. 
She asks, and I can see her asking this almost with a little wink in her eye. <laughs> what would you say if your husband decided he was called to the ministry? How would oh, you feel about being a pastor's wife? <laughs> Tim! Pastor Tim! Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> first of all, I would tell him that he misheard God. <laughs> Ask um, again later. Yeah, it always goes down so well. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, the right answer would be that, oh, I'd say, huh, okay, here I am, Lord, send me, send mm. me. But no, I would, fortunately, I believe that's never going to happen. <laughs> my husband is a talented man, but he does not have the temperament to be a pastor. And I certainly don't have the temperament to be a pastor's wife. <sighs> I, God would really have to prove to me that he wanted my husband to be a pastor in order for that to happen. I mean, <laughs> the Missouri River would have to turn into wine. Uh, don't be so specific, um, Karen. Don't be so specific here. <laughs> Famous <laughs> last word. <laughs> That would cap off this year for me if my husband said, <laughs> I feel called. But I think I think what we're laughing our heads off right now, but I think what I hear you saying is that ministry is a holy calling. It's mm -hmm. a scary calling and it's not for everybody. And so that the people who do answer that call deserve our love and respect <laughs> because it's not something just anybody can do or, you know, thrive at doing. Absolutely. And that came through in your book 100%. Like I came away from it feeling like, wow, your mom and dad were really special people. Mm. Um, yes, they were. were able to do this. Right. And if I may add one thing, and uh, this is unsolicited advice, we believe in the divine call yes. as Lutherans mm -hmm. and take it seriously. I saw my brother often being pressured by people, not my dad, mm -hmm. to enter the ministry. Mm -hmm. I was pressured by people to go into church work. Mm -hmm. It's not a hereditary job. <laughs> yes. Uh, if, if God's calling you, you'll know it. And uh, people don't need to put that, put that pressure on pastor's kids. They, they probably feel enough of that without that being put on their shoulders. That's an excellent point. Very, yes. very good advice. As I have a teenage son right now, I know you do too, that to have that burden placed on you, whether or not you're suited for it, uh, can be a very tough thing. I mean, yes, we do need to encourage, you know, our young people to consider their vocations. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. Putting that pressure on someone who may not be led in that direction can be, can be a hard thing. Yes. And, and God's going to use somebody who is a appliance salesman or a congressman or woman. He'll use us in the area of ministry of his choosing. And he is using you not as a pastor's wife, but as an author, someone who has in a very wonderful way documented the experience of pastors, families that has created a lot of understanding and empathy among our group and some really great discussion. And I want to thank you for writing the book and for talking with us today. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast and for allowing it to be part of the book club. I appreciate it. And I just said goodbye, but Aaron has something for you. Oh. Before you go, I got to know, Mrs. Harry Ray's Waldorf Red Cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From the St. Peter Westgate cookbook. Yes. Yeah. Do you have that recipe? You should. We would love to have that in the lounge. Yes, we would. Okie doke. How can I get it to you? Oh, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> okay. Well, you can either just post it or you can you can email it to us or message us. Okay. Any of those, but 
I think carrier pigeon. Aaron just wants it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Signal. Okay, it's I will. Thousand times better than red velvet cake, guys. And red velvet That's cake is what amazing. It says here. Who must be incredible? Times. It is. It's a different texture and it has oh. weird ingredients like vinegar. Um, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. we love us some vinegar on this show. <laughs> I, will, okay. I will get it to you. Absolutely. That is the best possible way to finish up an interview. Thank you, Erin, for not forgetting it. And thank you again, Karen, for talking with us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I Karen. appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Clap right back at you. <laughs>We just had a wonderful discussion with the author of our latest book club book, Karen Kuhlman Averett, who wrote, I Don't Want to Have the Prayer. And it was a fantastic book. If you haven't read it yet, you totally should. It's hilarious. We all loved it. Uh, We're all like laughing out loud, squealing, cackling Mm. while we were reading it. So totally worth your time to read. Or also ugly crying. Or also ugly crying. A lot of heart too. So there's a full range of emotions in this book. That is that is very true. So we had we so fun to actually have an author in on on our discussion for this book. But now we're going to get to our usual discussion of the questions that were in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge Facebook group. So Rachel, take it away. What are we diving into? Okay. Well, I think we all uh, we can we can skip some of the usual prolegomena for these discussions. I all <laughs> I know you all loved the book. And I know a lot of the reasons why you love the book. So let's just dig into the media issues that we discussed together with 83 women who came to our online book discussion this last week. And I think this was, I say this every time, but this was my favorite discussion yet, you guys. It was (laughs) was so much meaty conversation. But as we usually do, what I would love is for each of you to choose one question from our discussion that you would like to dig into a little bit on air here before we close the book on this particular book club read. So who wants to go first? I will go first. All right. Go I for it. Your tribute. <laughs> <laughs> so the question that I picked is question number four, and that is particularly because of my own personal context Coming up here, my husband is in his second year at the seminary. We're gearing up for Vicarage. We have our interview coming up here next week at the time of recording, not playing this back. But anyway, (laughs) question number four. One thing that makes life challenging for pastors' families is that pastor is never just a job. It's a whole life calling and identity. Many working fathers can leave their jobs at the office, not pastors. Pastor isn't just what they do nine to five. It's who they are 24 seven. What expectations about the ideal quote unquote pastor or pastor's family do we carry with us? How do these either enhance or interfere with our ability to love and appreciate these fellow laborers for Christ and thinking more positively, What qualities do you cherish in your own real-life pastor and his family? How do you honor and support him as a minister of the gospel? So I honestly, I this was the only question that I answered in the group coming at this from a seminarian wife eventually going to be a pastor's wife. And I'm going to be completely honest with everybody. Like there were a couple of sections in this book where I'm like, okay, am I ready for this? Am I ready for someone to roll up at my door in the middle of the day or at the end of the day during dinner and they need something or, you know, are they, do they feel unable to do something that, that they really don't need our help with? I feel like my husband and I have a very good idea of what boundaries are and how important they are in the lives of pastors and families and and, in any relationship, really. So my fear going into this, one of my fears, I guess I should say, is like (laughs) having that boundary overstepped all the time. And Aaron and Rachel, you can you can speak to this as 
as a, a both a pastor's kid and pastor's wife in Rachel's case. But I, I like I know these people are coming from a good place. They're coming to us because they know that, you know, they respect the pastor and they expect that this pastor will help fix whatever issue they're coming with. It's basically sheep sheep in need of a shepherd. And so I just hope and pray in my future experience that people will respect, kind of like what Karen said before, like respect the time off, respect the vacations, respect, you know, respect the sacred time that a pastor might have with his family. But then also from our own perspective, sort of pledging to have some patience, maybe an extra dose of compassion when it comes to helping our neighbor and just being more understanding. After reading this book, that's something that I'm going to really, I'm really have to pray about it and think about it because I, I have actually no idea what to expect. And if it's anything like Karen's experience, well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think it, the word expect is a really, a, that was a word that I used in the question and a word that you use right now that sometimes our expectations can really sabotage our relationships that yeah. when I, you know, when, when Ken was ordained and I went from being Ken's wife to pastor Bomberger's wife, yeah. that I had a set of expectations about what that would look like that sometimes got in the way of my joy where I expected that he would somehow stop being a flesh and blood human and start being somewhere, some cross between, you know, a, a monk, a general and Father Mulcahy from MASH. And <laughs> that just didn't happen. He's still Ken. He's a man of God who loves the people of God and brings them Jesus and that's what I should expect from him. And that's what I right. get from him. And for me, I thought my life would be like something out of a Miss Marple novel. Uh, <laughs> there would probably be pearls involved at some point. And those expectations, too, are, uh, you know, have not necessarily played out that way. But it's been good. I'm yeah. glad that God had something completely different in mind. And he has something wonderful in mind for you yeah. and Matt Bree. Thank you. Um, and like... There were parts in the book where I felt like Mrs. Coolman, Karen's mom, almost there was almost a begrudging this maybe. And I could be misinterpreting that or like a resentment for certain things, choices that her husband would have to make. And I just like, I don't know that I felt that on a deeply spiritual level, but I also hope to not be ever in that position. Oh, it's might, almost inevitable if you are a pastor's wife or a pastor's kid, you will be jealous of the congregation. Dang it. You will look at what they need from him and what they deserve from him, and you will say, but, 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 I want more. <laughs> that's, I think that's, that's something that you get from the book is that it, even if everyone's doing everything right, and, and Pastor and Mrs. Coleman did a lot of things right that there's still that longing, like, I wish I didn't have to share you. And yet I'm so glad that you're willing to share yourself yeah. with the church in this way. And I mean, um, that's the blessing. That's the blessing of it. So. But of course, pastor isn't, I, I deal with that now with the military. Any military uh, spouse out there <laughs> knows that your spouse is not your own, that they have someone else in their life that has demands that they can put on you. <laughs> Yep. and get in the way yep. of your perfect happy little home together so but I, I i respected sort of the the candid honesty with which karen explains her life growing up as a pastor's kid i thought that that was tremendously awesome for her to describe it in that way yeah so refreshing this should be required reading for all sam families i'm telling you <laughs> let's see well who else has a question they'd like to talk about I have number five, and I'm going to condense this because it's really long. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's a good one. It's just really long. It's me. Uh, so that, this has to do with family, culture, historical heritage, thinking about those things while we're reading the book. And I definitely was thinking about my German Lutheran historical family heritage through all of this. 
And then the part when Karen reveals her German Lutheran great grandmother's two secret crushes, Walter A. Meyer and Adolf Hitler. I think I laughed out loud at that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. my uh, jaw then, about hit the floor i know right <laughs> right but then the, the question at the end of this is what finally brought karen and jim to the lutheran church after their church shopping after they were married how did their journey together help karen understand why deep down she truly was and will always be a lutheran christian and then what about you like the rest of us what keeps you coming week after week to the lutheran church the lemon bars and church basement coffee. I think that's an obvious yes, but you know, there's more than that. <laughs> the fact that nobody after has to sit in the front three pews and really we're all okay with that. Or is it something more? And this one resonated a lot with me, even though I've been in the Lutheran church since I was a child and my family has been Lutheran for generations. But there is a point in time when we become adults and we're making our own decisions and you you have the – we didn't have to stay in the Lutheran church. There's there's this choice and this process that you go through as an adult of, wait, why am I actually here? Mm. Especially if you are a cradle Lutheran and it's all you've ever known, sometimes there's this point of like, well, maybe something else is better. I don't know. But it, what I think what came back around to her and what brought them finally to the Lutheran church is that the pure doctrine of Christ crucified. And that was something that they, that she was missing in all of these other churches. And that I think Jim finally understood was missing from all of these other churches because you can go to other denominations and they can be fun and the people can be great. But, you know, week after week, if you're not getting that, the gospel, the you know the the balm for your 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 soul Man. and the the Lord's Supper and the sacraments you're you're gonna start missing that because that's what we we go to church to receive the gifts and and if you aren't receiving those gifts it's gonna start to feel very empty yeah Agreed. yeah I mean we when you have a shared culture as what tribal churches I think is the term that's often used for that often do, it can be a very comfortable, very homey experience to go to church. But I think it's important, and this is what I loved about the way Karen described her her journey, to realize that it's not the cultural trappings that ultimately satisfy, that ultimately keep you coming back. Yeah, it is that we go to church, any church, not because the food is, is familiar, the hymns are familiar, though we do love those things, we go yes, we because do. we need Jesus. And I think yeah. that's one thing that, you know, being being a Lutheran is so wonderful about. Uh, for me, that journey was came about because I discovered that I was a sinner. Mm -hmm. It happened in college. I think that happens to a lot of people in college. Yep. You find out in, in new and rather unmistakable ways that you are a sinner and that you've got to have a theology that will help you deal with that. Mm. <laughs> you're not a yep. recovering sinner. You're a sinner. <laughs> you are also a saint. And I think that that is, that is something that I really, like I said, appreciated that in the book, that telling her journey of, well, marrying someone who's not a Lutheran. And then as a good wife will do, you know, going to church with her husband in various places as they tried to find something that would work for both of them. But I was so, so glad when she and he both ended up back where that, that grace is just so abundant. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like they were pretty glad about that too. <laughs> Jim is a good dude. Can I just say that? Yeah. yeah like a, just a stand up guy. Uh-huh. Uh, Jim is Karen's husband. By the oh, way, sorry. If we didn't say <laughs> that earlier, he shows, he shows up about three fourths of the way into the book, and and we all have we want to be friends with both of them for yeah, sure. For real. <laughs> yes, and since it's a small Lutheran world, we probably can be. That's <laughs> yep. kind of awesome. <laughs> Aaron, do you have one for us? Yeah. So I am going to talk about question three. Okay. And about how it's a funny book, but also a painful book. Karen spent a, a lot of her childhood and ad adolescence feeling out of place and isolated and wanting those, those friendships that just always seemed like they were not quite there. 
So then the question is, how did God use the hard, lonely seasons in Karen's life to mold her into the faithful, compassionate woman that she is today? And then also, how has he used the hard, lonely seasons in your own life to shape you? Uh, so I, I really resonated with this question. I moved around quite a lot. Uh, so I am, I am a pastor's kid. Uh, my dad is a second career pastor. And so his seminary time was right in middle school and high school for me. And so I was in five different schools in six years. Wow. Um, I think that's right. Because I was in, you know, fifth grade before he went to seminary. So I'd been in elementary school before that. So so that'd be the first one. And then sixth and seventh grade was his first two years of school. And then Vicarage was eighth grade. And then we came back for his fourth year. And that was my freshman year of high school. And then his first call was then 10th grade. And so it was just a constant cycling of of that. And so there were like she had one quote in there about how she was like, "Ugh, I did not want to have to go through all the effort of making new friends again." And that that one right there, I was just like, "Yes, I know what that feels like." And I and to an extent I still do. Part of it, I think I think like there's an element of like lingering like when you do that so much yeah you get you get sort of good at it but it never really goes away that like ugh, (laughs) of of having to start over again but there was also a quote she had in there that I really loved and I highlighted it in the book it's uh although I would have been loath to admit it at the time meeting people and navigating alien places gave me a backbone I didn't like how my spine came to grow so sturdy, but I appreciated its strength. And that is something that even honestly during during that time I did I did not have any real concept of of that. Like that wasn't something I was aware of uh even though it was happening. But by the end of high school, I had had time to sort of process that and see and be able to look back and start to see that those experiences really did shape me in, you know, for, for better and worse into the person and continue to do that. And so that, that experience at that time has continued to be one that has impacted me and I there there are definitely aspects of my you know my personality that I that I know I can trace back right to you know that oh that was eighth grade right there (laughs) that got formed right there in eighth grade young America Minnesota Uh, so yeah that that was something that I really that I really noticed and at this point like I've sort of come to terms with more of the I don't know the the downsides the the worst the or the better or worse the worst sort of things and have started to be more more aware of it and trying to you know sort of let go of some of those things that I sort of cling to without even realizing it you know how you do but I've also tried to sort of em- embrace that and be like yeah this this the sturdy spine uh, even though you don't like building up that bone density from all those <laughs> weight bearing exercises they they do they do pay off and so i i can look back on it without you know without without bitterness and i mm. i know that a lot of uh in this case karen talks beautifully about about the 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 positives and the the challenges and negatives of being a pastor's kid and growing up with that a lot a lot of people do carry baggage and look back on it with more uh unhappiness but mm-hmm. i even though it, i look back and it was hard i don't look back with with bitterness about it and honestly that would be a grace of god sort of thing because it surely <laughs> could have gone that way i just want to say this okay so you grow if you grow up in lutheran schools like you you sort of grow up believing, oh, this is a pastor's, this is a PK, this is a pastor's kid, no wonder he's so weird. As an adult, 
knowing pastor's kids, like, I'm sorry if there's resentment or there's bitterness or, you know, a grudge. I don't blame anybody for that if it exists. But like, in your case, Aaron, I'm glad that that's what you've had to endure because who you are now, like, I just love who you are now. And I'm so thankful yes. that you've come to the through that sort of any sort of tribulation that you had, any sort of baggage that you might have, who you are is just fantastic. And I have to believe that a lot of that has come from your experience as a pastor's kid. Agreed. Yep. Getting all teary-eyed here. Don't cry. <laughs> You're not a crier. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it all... It, you, you give me hope, Erin. I mean, I look at... <laughs> I look at my at my children who have had to go through a lot in their young lives. And yet I see the loving, interesting, intelligent, compassionate people that they're becoming. And I, I can't be disappointed about that. Nope. Because God is using all of these crazy experiences to turn them into people that just blow me away with their awesomeness and and if that continues until you know they're all grown up just like you that will be that will be a win <laughs> and honestly you have a fearsome backbone like we've been yes. over this you still terrify <laughs> me as much as i love you <sighs> you terrify me in a good way in a great way <laughs> i would like to have a backbone like aaron alter one of these yeah, right? days i, have, I like, definitely I do like, not have that <laughs> You know, one of the sayings of the Navy chaplain wives is uh, Semper Gumby. Um, <laughs> always flexible. <laughs> that's, another, that's another thing that can sometimes happen, you know, when you're in a ministry family is you, you, may, you may grow a really strong backbone or you may grow a really wavy backbone. <laughs> that's true. Just backbone. roll with it. Uh-huh. Well, we could talk about this book, I think, probably all day and all night and until sometime yep. tomorrow. If you are late to the party and would like to join the discussion, it's mostly wrapped up, but the page is still there. Uh, go into Lutheran Ladies Lounge, the Facebook group, click on events and into past events. And I don't want to have the prayer. We had seven different discussion questions. Six are still viable. And we would love to hear what you have to say about your interaction and engagement with the ideas in this book. I know we've all grown a lot. I became a more empathetic mother of pastor's kids from reading what Karen's experience was. So do definitely pick up the book, read it. And of course, all of our anniversary read picks that we voted on, of course, Karen Kuhlman Averett's book was the winner, but some of the runners up, oh my goodness. Mm. We will post a link to that list so you can go back just in time for Christmas shopping, support mm -hmm. a Lutheran lady author and enjoy a good book at the same time. There are lots of different books to choose from. But now we must move on, which is great because there are always more books to read. And <laughs> we need to get on to the business of picking our next book. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Now, we, we aren't going to actually do the final pick today. We're going to let our ladies help us finalize that. But we need to put together a list. So this time around, I've been threatening to do this to you guys for like, most of a year now i mm -hmm. said one of these times we're going to do ladies choice for our book club mm -hmm. pick so what i've asked each of you to do is to bring one book to the party has to be only one book and we are yeah. going to I, i'll give each of you a couple minutes to present your book and tell why we should pick this book for our next book club read and once we've been through all of the books we will put up a poll on our facebook page with links so you can research them and then we'll pick our next book and I can't wait to see what it will be all right so who has a book I got one Bree you got a book what What do you I want know. us to read this is a book of mystery potential murder and cultural <laughs> intrigue this is a book that I read when I was in sixth grade and later read in college during my 
middle school literature class with Lila Kurth. She's may she rest in peace. I miss her very much. <gasps> Lila Kurth, right? And her little she was dog one of my fly. Miss her. Hmm. <sighs> so what I would like to present to the group is Ellen Raskin's The Westing Game. Oh, a fun That's read. It's a, it's a, it's two hundred pages plus, but it's a quick read for moms with even like as young as third grade kids. If you like reading out loud to them, if they're at that age, that's a fantastic choice. Probably tells you then that there's probably not a murder that actually happens. Then <laughs> like, <laughs> characters are fantastically developed. It it just is such it is such a pleasure to read. It's fun. You can involve your family with it. The Western game. Ellen Raskin can't be beat. Try to top that. You know, for those who are Newberry completist, I believe this one won the Newberry Award. It, it, it sure did. did. Mm-hmm. Is award winning. It is. And like, not just any award, like the best award there is, yes. in my humble opinion. <laughs> yep. Like, you can That's keep your Pulitzers. I want to know who the next Newberry winner is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, solid choice. Can anyone beat Bree's choice for our Ladies' Choice book club pick? Well, Mine couldn't really be more different than It's <laughs> <laughs> not surprising. As in life, so in book club. Right. <laughs> yes. I would not recommend this one be read aloud to your third grade children. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> However, it is so good. It is beautiful. So the I'm bringing it back again. I've I've floated this one in the past, so I'm trying again. Because it's that good. It is the Poisonwood Bible by oh, yes. Barbara Kinsolver. And it wrestles with topics of Christianity, mostly in an unhappy way. But we are Lutherans, and we know how to engage, and we can we can deal with that. And I think there's some solid discussion to be had on where things uh, go so sadly wrong. It is set in 1957. And most of the book takes place in what today would be the Democratic Republic of Congo, but at that Mm. time was Belgian Congo. And it features a missionary family that goes there in just an appallingly supported way. Like they sort of went on their own and it's just a terrible example of how to do mission work on so many levels, which is part of no doubt part of why I find it interesting, Mm. but it's also got this gorgeous prose it features uh the the family has four daughters and the the four daughters and the mother are the primary narrators of the book their father features but he is not telling the story he is part of the story but he is not one of the narrators and i'm just again because i'm really trying hard to to sell this book to you guys i'm going to give you two quotes from the book So she's bringing the big guns. (laughs) Don't try to make life a mathematics problem with yourself in the center and everything coming out equal. When you're good, bad things can still happen. And if you're bad, you can still be lucky. Nice quote. And then this one, oh, this one's just beautiful. And it's, it's, it's an unhappy book, but it's beautiful. And I won't regret having read it. So anyway, this quote is, is beautiful and sad. As long as I kept moving, my grief streamed out behind me like a swimmer's long hair in water. I knew the weight was there, but it didn't touch me. Only when I stopped did the slick, dark stuff of it come floating around my face, catching my arms and throat till I began to drown. So I just didn't stop. <gasps> oh, my heart. <laughs> I know. It's just the Oh, it's just so I, will, I will give everybody who votes for the Westing game five dollars. <laughs> five dollars. Audio and in print. So I'm just saying it's available in both ways, but it's long. It's not 200 pages. So it's 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 a longer book. 15 hours. You're gonna don't read it before. 15 this. hours. It's a long book. You won't regret it though. Okay, so. Yeah, all right. We got some major contenders here already. I don't know what I would vote for, even if it was just these two. 
Sarah, Sarah, what have you got? Oh, this was a hard decision because I haven't read a lot in the last year. However, I did read one that was super duper fun. It's a YA romance, which is just kind of cute. It's called Dangerous Alliance, an Ostentatious Romance. So this is based off of Jane Austen. And I know there's a lot of Jane Austen fans in the group. It's a super fun story with some mystery. So Lady Victoria Aston has to marry because this is 1817 London. And she has to come out in, you know, the big, the big gala. She has to come out into society and marry in order to save her family. She has to choose between two suitors, and she can't decide which one. And there's some mystery in all of this that uh, you won't know what happens till the very end. So I loved it. It's a lighter read. It's not going to be quite so heavy, but I enjoyed it. $10 for your vote of the West Game. <laughs> <laughs> Ten dollars, Bree. You're a seminary wife. Quit promising money you can't afford. <laughs> so the tagline to this is the Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue meets Jane Austen in this witty, winking historical romance with a dash of mystery. And I do love my historical fiction books. Too. Yeah, I know you do. Oh, I read that when you when you said you were thinking about maybe <laughs> suggesting this one. I read the brief description. And I thought to myself, well, that's fun. This imagines like. What would life be like if you were living when Jane Austen was like new, like the Hunger Games yes. of her day, and we're expecting mm-hmm. your life to somehow turn out like her books? And maybe yep. it will, and probably it won't because life isn't quite fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you had me at YA romance, just like uh-huh. Bree had me at Newbery Winner, and Aaron had me at that yeah. heart aching quote. Okay. I don't think I'm probably going to win, but I hope I will. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you a story first about how I came to discover this book. When I first went out to Oregon to meet my boyfriend's parents in 2001, it was a long time ago. Wow. (laughs) My future mother-in-law and I hit it off immediately. It's like creepy how much we have in common. But one thing we didn't have in common among the many stacks of books that we all said, oh, I love that. I love that. She said, have you ever read Elizabeth Gooch? And I said, no, I don't think I have. She said, oh, you must. She's so good. And of course, years went by and (laughs) I had still never read Elizabeth Gooch until last summer. I went out to visit my in-laws and Some of you know this, some of you don't. My mother-in-law, who is one of my best friends in the world, has uh, advanced Alzheimer's and so is no longer able to enjoy any of her books. And that breaks Mm. my heart. But Mm. while I was in her house, I started perusing her bookshelves because I was like, this is a way I can have an old timey visit with my mother-in-law and experience her things. So I found on the shelf an Elizabeth Googe classic the bird in the tree. And I said, I got to make this right. And I got into it and it started a little bit slow. I mean, the book was written in 1940 or something like this started a little bit slow. But then when I got into it, it was just this wonderful, wonderful story about a grandmother raising her grandchildren of a broken marriage in a house that she has created to be a retreat for her whole family and her favorite grandson, the one who's going to inherit it all and carry on her legacy, comes home and announces he's fallen in love with the worst possible woman. <laughs> the one, the, a romance that is going to completely tear her entire family apart. And she has to, as the matriarch of the family, deal with this and figure out how much of her own life she's willing to expose in order to help the young people around her make wise choices. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful novel and exploration of human life and love and families that I would love an excuse to go back into it Mm -hmm. and feel like I can really (laughs) (laughs) honor my, (laughs) honor my mother-in-law. And I would love to, if even, 
even if I lose terribly, because there's this is not a YA romance. This is not a Newbery winner. This was never it hasn't been a bestseller in like seventy years. But it's a beautiful <laughs> I might not book. Even vote recommended for to me a beautiful person who's not wrong about books. Just as mm-hmm. so, there we go. All right. Bree's offer is up to $25. Do I hear 30? (laughs) (laughs) This is such a great slate of books. I hope that all of you listening will read all four of the books, not just the one we picked for our book club, but we can only read one together this time. Keep these books on the back burner. We may pull them out again sometime. I don't think this is the first time the Poisonwood Bible has shown up on the show. Is it, Erin? No, no, it's not. It'll come back around again, or we'll read it this time. And That's we'll all... no reason not to vote for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, dear listeners, dear readers, dear Lutheran Lady Book Club Divas, we now lay this matter before you. We'll try to get a poll up here very shortly in our Facebook group, and we want to hear from all of you. What are we reading next? I cannot wait to find out. All right, so we have four books to pick from for our next read. They're all fantastic choices. Of course, you should vote for mine. It's going to be wonderful (laughs) no matter what we end up reading. You can find that poll and find our latest discussion from our last book club in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge group on Facebook. You can find all of our podcasts, including our previous book club book wrap-ups, at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Pastor Coolman's secret stash of pickles. (laughs) (laughs) And I really hope y'all will vote for my book. (laughs) Last words are important. (laughs) Great. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge.